whatever y'all did on the back-to-back in L.A., don't do it tonight. That team wasn't better than us. We ready. It's easy. What you mean? That kind of had it going. Give me a chance to be great. I want to be great. Some people call those winning characteristics a group of hungry individuals. It ain't sweet. He can do everything. It's just nice. You trying to put the league on notice? Welcome to the Wolves Watch. I am Dan Radkin. I'm joined as always by Rick Jim Bruno. Rick, how are you today? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Good. It is uh, Sunday, the 2nd of October. Uh, shout out to the Vikings for getting a win this morning in London. Nice early game before we uh, started the pod here. Um, this podcast, Rick, I'm going to kick it to you. This is your brainchild. Uh, it was a brilliant idea. I'm excited to see we haven't done something like this, uh, on the tough watch before. So we're going to, this is kind of new wolves watch fodder. Um, but kind of take the listeners through what we're here kind of to do today. Yeah. So we have always, since we've done the tough watch, done some version of an over and under podcast. And obviously we've spent the last two weeks, and six pod episodes doing that. And, you know, going into the season, we always, just like everybody else, you know, like to kind of get our predictions out there so that you and I kind of have a grounding of where we think this season is going to go. And it kind of gives us a context of how we watched the season this year. And so, to me, it's it, I just had the idea, and it stands to reason that Whatever it is that we think is going to happen in terms of individual awards, like MVP, Rookie of the Year, etc., who our predicted champion is going to be, is going to fall off of how we predicted the over-unders. And so we, Dan did a good job of compiling the standings for um, after we had done the over-unders, you know, we had some disagreements. So off air, we, over the course of the week, we've been kind of getting a consensus and we have our consensus standings. Um, We'll try not to just get into a situation where we're just listing off a bunch of names and numbers because we know that you guys will not be able to follow along with that. I would not myself if I was listening to a pod. Um, if you want to get more granular, more specific details about what we think uh, these teams will be like in the over-under settings, please listen to any of our six previous pods um, because we will kind of be talking about this as if you have some kind of understanding of where we think these teams are going to land. But basically what we're doing today, we're taking our over-under standings, and doing a little simulation of this season and talking through eventually who we think will win the NBA Finals and how and who will win all these individual awards. Yeah, that's uh, that's good table setting. Uh, we are doing this on the fly. So, Rick, the first question I have for you is, would you prefer to lead or finish with uh, with the awards? I think we lead with the awards because I think it's yeah. a little bit less interesting uh, to me. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, like Rick said, we took the over-unders. We made what we believe the standings are going to be. We are going to cover just 1 through 10. Obviously, the teams that are either going to be in the play-in or playoffs for the purpose of this discussion, 11 through 15, 
We won't really touch on those teams much. We may mention a couple just because they're going to be noticeably absent from that top 10 in the conference. Um, But the awards. So we both kind of did this on our own. Uh, We did MVP, Coach of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Sixth Man, Most Improved Player, and Defensive Player of the Year. So it it is pretty all-encompassing of the awards uh, that will happen at the end of the year. And I kind of want to go through, we did have some overlap, so we can just start, honestly, with probably the juiciest one, which is MVP, um, which Rick and I had the same individual chosen for this. Um, we mentioned this on a pod, so this is going to be a bit of a rehash, but Rick, who'd you have and why? I, I, I have Luka Doncic, and I feel like that was a pretty easy one. He is also the betting favorite, so we're definitely not going out on a limb here. When When we think about what we talked about with Dallas on the pod, they are set up to be an exceptionally good regular season team because of the way the team is built around Luka. And with the loss of Jalen Brunson, of course we anticipate Spencer Dinwiddie drinking up some of those responsibilities. Everything is set up for Luka to put up monster statistics in a way that pretty much none of his other peers are set up to do because most of the other elite players in the league are playing with a better second fiddle, third fiddle than Luka. Like, this is the Luka show in Dallas. Yeah, I had the same reasoning. The other thing about these awards that will not be specific to MVP is what is the narrative going into the season and what could the narrative be at the end? Luka is just, in the eyes of anybody that is voting for this is just kind of do everybody knows who Luca is. Everybody has strong belief that he's one of the best players in the league and he just doesn't have the award yet. Uh, we covered on the, the over under pod when we talked about Dallas, the fact that him playing in FIBA this year leading into the season is going to lead to his conditioning being better early. So it's probably going to be a sustained greatness for Luca. Uh, unlike you've seen in prior seasons. And frankly, I just see it as he's due like, the the voters are going to want to give it to him. They're going to be looking for a reason to do so. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. I think his main competition would be Jokic again, but it's going to be difficult for Jokic to get three in a row, as we've seen with, with other players. And it gets to, when we talk about the narrative part, it gets to that narrative territory where uh, it gets beyond kind of what the scope of what the award should be, which is like, Jokic is going to be judged based on previous MVPs, as in like, well, can we really give Jokic a third consecutive MVP, which I don't think has ever happened before. I'm not positive about that, but, you know, if, well, if Michael Jordan never got three in a row, if LeBron never got three in a row, et cetera, you know what I mean? So he's going to face like a needlessly difficult path to get to that point. And the only other guy that I think is kind of in that top tier that feels like a reasonable candidate is Embiid, who's finished second the last two years. To me, it's a it's a two-horse race to start the season between Embiid and, and Luka. And I think Luka has a pretty sizable lead to start the year. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, let's go to Coach of the Year. Coach of the year is an interesting one because essentially what we tried to do here, and this will it, this will play into some of the other awards coming up, is you want to figure out where do you have these teams finishing at the end of the year, and therefore who would be technically eligible to, to possibly win the award, not just get votes. And a lot of times when you look at the way the standings break down, you look at, okay, well, 
this team is led by a veteran coach that's kind of expected to have his team perform at a high level. Maybe he's won it before. So, I mean, the hill to climb similar to what you're talking about with Jokic, it's just harder to get there. If you're a new coach, you haven't won it before, especially if you're in your, you're in like your first few seasons as like a bona fide NBA head coach. Um, it can be a lot easier to obtain the votes necessary. And I mean, I'll just spoil this. The Western Conference, we have the one seed as the Timberwolves. The Eastern Conference is the Cavs. Both of those. Two horse race here. Two horse race. Yeah. If we believe that to be the, the outcome, which we do, it'd basically be Chris Finch or JB Bickerstaff. And this is a Wolf's Watch pod. So we both had Chris Finch. Yeah. Ironically, also, Chris Finch, also the betting favorite here to win Coach of the Year. Um, or I guess it's not ironic. It's just, you know, these these takes are lukewarm, uh, I guess, is what this really is. The thing about these awards, and the Coach of the Year is probably the greatest one. Coach of the Year and Most Improved Player are the two greatest ones on this. Is These are the Mia Culpa Awards, the You Are Better Than the Media Thought You Were Awards. Um, and Coach of the Year especially, it's like, who exceeds their their Vegas win total by the most you know it's like usually a pretty good good way to look at this um but yeah I agree I think this one was pretty easy especially because Chris Finch right now is you know he's kind of like an underground artist you know what I mean where it's like the people that are in the know and even national NBA guys definitely understand this too understand that he is potentially, <coughs> excuse me, great potting, um, uh, that he is potentially a, you know, a great coach. And it's just that he, um, you know, obviously this being a second full season and being with the Timberwolves, he hasn't really had a chance to, to prove that yet. But I think you and I are absolutely in the camp of people that believe that Chris Vogt, Chris Finch is an elite coach and that now that the Timberwolves have the roster, he will prove that this year. Absolutely. Uh, Let's go rookie of the year. Again, this is the last award that you and I completely overlapped. I wanted to get these first few out of the way. Rookie of the year. uh, We both selected Paulo Bancaro. Um, I haven't looked this up, but I'm sure you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm assuming he's the betting favorite for this award. Gotta Um, be. Probably either him or Keegan Murray would be my guess. Yeah, and Paolo for me, and I mentioned this uh, to you a couple days ago in a conversation on the phone where I just said, you know, when I look at this rookie class, Paolo went to a team that is going to use him in a way that will highlight his best attributes from day one. Uh, most rookies don't get that uh, that kind of runway. They're usually brought in square peg round hole at first, and it's kind of like figuring it out throughout the season. Paulo is going to be asked to do a lot of the things that he's proven through his college career to be very good at and very proficient at. So I just feel like he's almost set up perfectly from day one to just be a really, really impactful player, which again will make it a harder race for anybody else that is trying to catch him later in the year for that award, because I think some of those guys are going to start off slower uh, and it's really not their fault. It's just where they're playing and what their role is. Well, the role is the key there, Dan. I mean, he is the only rookie in this class. And that's not to say that these guys will not prove to be this over time, but he's the only rookie in this class that is walking into the door as the franchise player. Um, Obviously, Chet at number two out for the season. Jabari Smith, number three, who we're both very high on. He has 
uh, Jalen Green, his teammate, was the first guy through the door. Keegan Murray's fourth. Obviously, that is a team that has Fox and Sabonis. Jaden Ivey goes to Detroit, where they have um, Cade Cunningham already, and so on and so forth. So, Paolo, it's an opportunity thing. I imagine he will, you know, get a lot of shot attempts this year, get a chance to run the offense um, in a bit of a point-forward capacity. So, yeah, I think everything's set up for him to have a, as you said, a monster rookie season, albeit probably inefficiently, like how every rookie is. Yep. Uh, Let's move on to sixth man. Um, Before I give my pick, I just want to say that this award is, as long as Tyler Hero is in Miami, it's almost catered perfectly to him. uh, Well, Dan... Is he start? I thought he was. See, I didn't pick him though because I didn't. I thought I feel like he's starting this year. It's TBD at this point, which is why he wasn't my pick. I just wanted to put out there that if he plays the same role that he's played in Miami historically, like it's it's so easy for him to win the award. But you're right; he could be taken out of it just based on you know getting a starting role on that Miami team this year. The guy I selected was Malcolm Brogdon. Um, I, you know, this one was tough. I actually had had kind of leaned towards the guy that you're going to talk about and who you selected, um, and I wanted it to be a different pick. But Malcolm Brogdon is a guy who is, if healthy, and that's a big, big if, but if healthy, he's just very solid as a player. He can score. He's very effective getting other guys the ball, running an offense. He's a pretty, pretty stout defensive player. And so if he is healthy for a season and does play a backup role to Marcus Smart and is kind of playing some one-slash-two guard, like, he'll just get a lot of opportunity, and I think he's obviously strong enough. His statistics will probably bear out that he'll be at least in the Rays. I think that's a that's a fair choice. I mean, I think you go through, which I'm sure both of us did, you go through team by team, and there's not a lot of obvious candidates, which means that there will probably be some guys that emerge. I would argue yours is pretty obvious, just if he plays that role, and we'll get into Well, oh, exactly. So Jordan Poole, again, you know, not exactly a hot take here. I think the only thing that really, there's two things that could stand in his way, an injury, of course, and then also injuries in the Warriors starting lineup that would have him ineligible for the award because he started too many games. But I think, you know, clearly... He is like the sixth starter, quote unquote, for the the you know the defending champion. He, I think, could potentially average up to twenty points a game this year. Is looking to either be extended or sign a massive deal in the summer. So to me, this was a this is probably the easiest one. This is a no brainer for me. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, most improved. You and I kind of did the same thing, just with different players. Um, I'll let you lead. Who did you have for most improved? I picked Anthony Edwards here. I mean, you and I are, of course, as bullish as they come on Anthony Edwards, believers that he will one day be, you know, one of the best players in the NBA. And I think that could potentially start this season. Coming into camp, it's, you know, it's been reported that he's added 10 pounds. The guy looks like an absolute tank at the ripe age of 21 years old. And I think you know, in this projection here, we have the Wolves as the one seed. I think it's pretty easy to draw the comparison to the awards that the Grizzlies won last year, it being in a similar position. And so to me, if the Wolves are to win as many games as we're predicting here, I think the biggest factor there would be Rudy, frankly. But um, I think Anthony Edwards 
starting this season will be an all-star player and an all-NBA player. Yep. I had, for for very much the same reason I selected Evan Mobley, we each selected a player, a a young up-and-coming superstar from teams that are going to be one seeds based on our projection. So I think it's a, I mean, it's essentially the same exact pick for the same exact reasons, which is if the Cavs are the one seed and Evan Mobley takes a leap, which, I mean, he would need to for them to be the one seed in the conference, uh, Evan Mobley is going to turn into very quickly the player that everybody believes that he eventually will get to. And it's kind of the same story of Anthony Edwards, where it's like both these guys are projected to be superstars. This upcoming season, the bet that you and I are making is that becomes clearer sooner than people expect, which would lead to the award being given to him. Well, and this is the funny thing about, and this is the last time on this podcast that will hammer this point home as to like, why are those teams the number one seeds? Like that's, that's ridiculous. Like that's a hot take. The thing is, is like it. You're really only asking for two very simple things to happen, which is Anthony Edwards improves, Evan Mobley improves, and then each of those teams added an All NBA caliber player. And it's like how how likely is that to happen versus some of the things that need to line up for other teams to become the number one seed? And to me, it's like. It's not even close. Like, that's a really easy bet to make. Yeah, I completely agree. And it also, it's ironic that we talked about this on a a past podcast, but how similar these two teams are and how they're going to get there. They're both going to get there on the backs of a new addition from a Jazz team that blew up. Yeah. And with two young players that we believe to be possibly transcendent players. All right, Uh, well, Dan, let's just talk about why Rudy Gobert then will be the defensive player of the year, and then we can move on to... (laughs) To the best part of the pod. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. You selected Rudy as your defensive player of the year. Well, you know, uh, if they win mid to high 50s or in the 60s, um, he's going to get a ton of credit for that, and he deserves to. I think that you and I probably, I'm already expecting this to happen, but I think that the the quote-unquote smart NBA fans will, and especially the Timberwolves ones, will embrace Rudy with open arms and I think we'll get to a place with him where we kind of believe he's the best player most impactful player on the team I think the Wolves have as good of a chance as any team in the league of being top five offense top five defense and um, you know if they get there on the latter part the defensive part you know Rudy will be rewarded for that yeah the guy and I mean I would have probably liked to select Rudy too but uh, to make a more interesting uh, segment here, I selected Bam. Uh, to me, Bam is the type of guy that one of these years um, he's going to, and again, he's playing in Miami, so he's going to be on a team that makes the playoffs. And Bam has already been a very impactful defensive player. I think what I see eventually happening for him is he's almost like the the slightly elder version, uh, maybe slightly worse, depending on your belief in Evan Mobley, but he's very Evan Mobley-esque. Um, He may not be as laterally quick as Evan Mobley to be able to cover perimeter players, but he's very versatile. He can guard a lot of positions. He can kind of be a kind of a free safety within their defense and just wreak havoc in a lot of different areas. Um, But he's also a pretty good rim defender. Um, He's put on every year. He puts on even a little bit more physical size um, that makes him that much more imposing. So, um, but I, I, again, the reason I don't think Bam will likely get it is, 
he's probably, you know, we have the Heat projected as like a seven seed in the Eastern Conference. If he's on a seven seed Heat team, what that means is for him to win the award, he would have to be undeniably the best defensive player in the league. Like no debate, uh, which is probably difficult given who, who else is going to be eligible for that award. So let's, um, okay, so that's the award segment. Let's move on. Let's start in the West if you're cool with that. You good with let's that? Let's do it. Okay. Yeah, do you want to do, Dan, just like round by round or do you want to like complete the entire Western Conference before we go to the East? I would say we get through the plan in both conferences, and then we start in one conference, move all the way through to the finals, and do the same with the other. If you're Sounds clear. good. All right, so the plan in the Western Conference, the way we have it slotted. Um, for those who are unaware, the league shifted to this plan structure a couple of years ago, um, and basically the 7 and 8 seed play. The winner advances immediately uh, into the playoffs to play the 2 seed. The loser of that game plays the winner of the 9-10 game, and there's one final game between that winner and whoever loses the 7-8, and they get the award of playing the number one seed in the actual playoffs. So the way that we have the plan broken down, we have a 9-10 matchup between the Lakers and the Kings, and a 7-8 matchup between Memphis and New Orleans. Um, Let's start with the 7-8 matchup so we just know who's going to go play uh, the two-seed here. So 7-seed Memphis, 8-seed Pelicans. I, you know, when I looked at this game, I'm making a bet on a team that I believe I was even a little, I was very high on them, but I think I was even a little low during our over under podcast. I'm, I'm selecting the Pelicans to advance in this game. And to be honest, pretty comfortably, I just think the Pelicans, if you look at the rosters and, and obviously you and I have a lot of belief in, in uh, Willie Green as a head coach, like the Pelicans are just a lot better if they're healthy. Um, And so I think the Pelicans would advance in that case. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I agree. I think they have a nice um, a nice group to be able to guard John Morant in a one-game setting. I think you can just probably attach Herb Jones to him and uh, scramble behind him. Uh, when you're looking at a one-and-done scenario, you're definitely looking at star players. And I think, you know, they have three guys that you could really comfortably say could get you a bucket in high leverage situations. And it's just greater than what I think Memphis could bring in that context. If these guys were playing a seven game series, perhaps this is a different conversation, but a win or go home type of scenario. I really like the star power of the Pelicans there. So yes, I think we're going to have the Pelicans move on uh, to play the Denver Nuggets in the sec in the first round of the playoffs. Perfect. Um, so there is a very steep drop-off uh, in the Western Conference oh, yeah. between the 7 and 8 teams we just mentioned and the 9-10, which is Lakers-Kings. Um, the 9-10 matchup, you know, it is interesting to me because, again, my heart wants me to select the Sacramento Kings. Yes. The reality of the situation is, you just mentioned it, it's a one-game one playoff, yeah. and you have LeBron and AD uh, on one side of that uh, ledger. So I would take the Lakers in one game. Pretty comfortably, pretty comfortably take the Lakers there. Um, and then we have the Lakers and the Grizzlies playing to get the eight seed. Yeah. And that's, that's a really interesting matchup because it really is here again, we are talking about a one game matchup. And so you'd think that I would use the same logic I used in the Lakers Kings matchup. I actually flip it on its head. In this case, I would I would select Memphis to beat the Lakers, and it's really simple. The Grizzlies are much better, um, both in continuity and top-end talent. They're much better than the Kings, who would be matched up against the Lakers in that first game. 
now the Lakers have two, you know, quote unquote, superstar players, whereas the Grizzlies only really have the one unless Desmond Bain takes a big leap. Um, however, the Grizzlies, you cannot shortchange how well that team plays as a unit. And so in a game where they're going to be playing a Lakers team that you and I believe is going to be just like, you know, kind of shot out of a cannon and like pray to God, you can get some continuity as the season goes on. Like I'm not buying it. I think it would just be the, the AD LeBron show against a really well-oiled machine in Memphis. And in that setting, I would just rather have Memphis. Yeah. There's just no way we can pick, pick the Lakers here, um, especially against Memphis. And like, I love the fact, and I love the fact that we're going to have Memphis play the Timberwolves again because I think there's definitely between the fan bases a little bit of bad blood there, and I can feel it with us with the way that we talk about Memphis, and I have to kind of hedge against my instinct to be a hater on the Grizzlies and uh, just be like, hey man, like it's already maybe a stretch that we have them as the seven. Uh, in the regular season, like they, they need to make the actual playoffs. No, I agree with you. Um, and there is legitimate bad blood. I think you and I are good test cases for this as Tim Rolls fans. We certainly are not the only ones. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely have a little bit of, a little bit of bad blood with that Memphis team. It's hilarious Uh, though, Dan, because I'm like, like jaw is so likable and so objectively good, but I'm like, nah, he's overrated. Yeah, he's not Anthony Edwards, I'll tell you that much. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> so let's move to the Eastern Conference play-in games. Uh, 7-8 matchup. Brutal. But it's Brutal. very similar, actually. It's uh, where there's a steep drop-off, but this 7-8 is ridiculous. And I think whoever actually ends up in the 7-8 in both of these conferences, it's going to be a preposterous. And there will be likely, you know, I think to spoil it, we'll probably and both these conferences have the seven and eights move on. But like, you know, that's not, that's obviously not a given And like a very good team, if not several very good teams will not even make the playoffs this year. Yes. Um, The seven, eight matchup in the East is the seven seed heat against the eight seed wraps. The the nine, 10 is the nine seed Knicks against the 10 seed bulls. Um, the seven eight for me, it's a heart pick. I'm not even going to get into the weeds going through some kind of breakdown about matchups. The heart, the heart wants what the heart wants. I would prefer Toronto to beat the Heat. Um, and to be honest, like in a matchup like this, again, the single game, my one overriding fear when it comes to the Heat is age, uh, primarily. And so I would prefer to go with the Raptors, who I think are just built around a foundation of much younger players that are going to have a lot more left in the tank, likely by that point in the year. Um, And it's a one-gamer. So again, even in a seven-game, the conversation dramatically shifts. Um, I think in a one-game, the youth youth of Toronto would would win out. Yeah, I'll I'll go with you on that one. I mean, these are, you know, I I can tell you right now, I own a ton of apparel for both the Raptors and the Heat. I love both of these teams a lot. Um, But I agree. I think the Raptors, at least going into the season, have more upside here because they, you know, they have, they just have a younger team, like Dan said. I mean, Scotty Barnes is a big element here. How good will he get and how soon? Um, If he really does take something of a leap by the you know, by the time the play-in rolls around, this is a very different team than they had last year. Um, they have the potential for improvement from him, obviously. Precious Achua, they always have a, and so does Miami, frankly, but they always have a deep roster 
of guys that are kind of in the back-end churn of these teams. And so, you know, it wouldn't be shocking to me to see, you know, a guy like Dallin O'Banton or uh, Malachi Flynn even take, take an unexpected leap, um, just somebody on the back end of their team. Uh, I think Gary Trent could get a lot better. Precious Achua could definitely get a lot better. And there's a lot of buzz coming from the Toronto writers about the dogged approach that Pascal Siakam took to this offseason. So I think there's a lot to like there. Um, it's hard to get the wraps higher, honestly, when you actually do a standings here. But if it shakes out like it did last year where they ended up in the 4-5, even though they punched above their weight, wouldn't be surprised if that happened again. So, yes, I agree with you. We will we will advance the wraps to another rematch from last year against the Sixers. Yeah. Um, the 9-10 Knicks and Bulls. You know, this is another um, heart and head pick. I think um, very low stakes being as I think we both are going to have the heat beating either of these teams, but for sure, (laughs) um, you know, my head tells me to go with uh, the bulls. And the only reason for it is in a one gamer. uh, They just have more bucket getters. DeRozan. Yeah. I mean, DeRozan, uh, Zach Levine, there's just more to it. Um, But my heart tells me to go with the Knicks. And the reason purely is because I do not trust this bulls team at all. So, like, in one breath, I want to say that the Bulls have more high-end guys and bucket getters, and in a one game, that can really bear a lot of weight. But I do think that the Bulls are are fool's gold uh, in almost every way. Where did you have this one? Yeah, it just, it's very difficult. I think that you are accurate in that assessment, and I think that the Bulls are definitely arrow-pointing down for this season, and I think could be a good candidate to, like, Obviously, we've chose this to like greatly, uh, you know, greatly underachieve relative to kind of what the expectations are of their fans. The the real problem here, Dan, is because I, you know, I would think to myself like maybe this is a candidate where look, Lonzo's already got this goofy injury. Maybe they're one injury away from just saying let's take a gap year, a tank year. They still owe the first round pick next year to the Magic. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, which is only one through four protected. So it's like they all, they could very well, you know, there's really no incentive for them to do that. But um, yes, let's move them on and then let's have them, you know, get ran over by the Heat and we can yes. move on there. So the Heat will move on to play the Cavs. Lots of just really fun matchups here. Yeah, so let's let's bounce around a little bit. We'll go back west now that we've covered the plan. So now we have the eight uh, teams set for each conference. The one eight matchup in the west is like we mentioned, the Timberwolves and Grizzlies. Um, for the sake of time, because there is a lot of there's going to be so many series to cover here, so we can whip through some of these. It's a Timberwolves podcast. There's no way I have the Timberwolves losing in the first round of the playoffs. Um, no, and I mean they, you know, every Timberwolves fan will tell you. Even Timberwolves players will tell you they should have won that series last year. Memphis, from a personnel standpoint, took a little bit of a step back. Obviously, the Wolves just took one of their players off of their team, Kyle Anderson. The Wolves made the big move to get Rudy Gobert. It's pretty simple. If Rudy Gobert was on the Timberwolves last year, there is no chance that Memphis would have... um, would have won that series. So yes, I agree. I think the Wolves would dispatch them 
maybe in as few as five games. Yeah, I agree with that. Five or six was going to be kind of my my landing spot there. Uh, Four-five matchup is a fucking killer in the Western Conference. It is the Golden State Warriors against the Phoenix Suns. Um, for me, it you know we talked about this during uh, the prep pods for this. Both of us were kind of arrow pointing up for the Warriors uh, based on their young players and development. And Phoenix, we had arrow pointing down. Um, I will say, coming out of media day, I didn't start feeling any better about the Phoenix Suns. Uh, the biggest concern that we had was just, I mean, at what point can you not count on Chris Paul? Like, at what point is that going to, you know, kind of rear its ugly head where he either falls off and is just not the player that he's been? Or is he just going to, you know, he, he's had injuries previously. Age does not help with injury-riddled players. Golden State kind of the opposite. It's like, yes, they have age, but they also have a lot of youth. A lot of guys that we think are, are arrow pointing up that we have a lot of belief in that's are going to get a lot of opportunities this year. So for me, it'd be a Warriors win. It'd probably be in like six or seven though, because I do think Phoenix, we shouldn't just shame Phoenix. Like Phoenix is no joke. Um, they're obviously no be a um, baseball team. Of course. And you know, the thing about Phoenix too, that we didn't really get into as much when we did their win total pod was, uh, they're finally, you know, at a place now where they're going to get to their preferred starting five with Bridges and Cam Johnson on the wings, which is just a really, really efficient and offensively just brutal starting five for the opposing teams, guys that fit in really well. And then the other part of it is bringing Saric back into the fold and I think if this was a series, I think you could definitely see a, a scenario where they would play that starting five with Saric in the DeAndre Ayton spot for moments of the game to get five out. The thing about this is the Warriors have always made hay against these traditional teams. And one of the reasons why I would love to see this matchup is the Warriors and the Suns are kind of the apex of two different philosophies of basketball. The Suns are the team where, like, I think if you want to understand what the role of each position is in the NBA at this time, you kind of look at them. It's like Chris Paul's the quintessential pick-and-roll point guard. Devin Booker's the quintessential um secondary ball handler slash off-ball guard. The wings that I just said are the prototypical 3 and D wings, and DeAndre Ayton is the prototypical dive man mismatch uh, center. The flip side of that is the Warriors have, like I said, they've, they love playing teams like this because they can get their five-out switching style. They can whip the ball around, and they always feel confident against these teams. So I, I have the Warriors absolutely taking this one. Uh, I feel really good about it, but I agree with Dan. I think this is a six-gamer to me, um, and the Warriors move on to, to face the Wolves, which is, hey, <laughs> that's tough, man. That's a tough tough break for the Wolves. We'll get there. Uh the 6-3 is the three-seed Clippers playing the six-seed Mavs. Three-peat. Three-peat of this just dogged series. Uh, so in this one, Rick, I'm going to kick it to you first. Where do you go in this series? Uh, easily the Clippers. Um, the Clippers kind of famously, did they in both of the times they played go down 0-2 to Dallas? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Uh, here's the thing. Is there even actually better equipped? The, the thing is, is like they've gone down 0-2 to Dallas the two times they played by fucking around in the first two games. And then they uh, identified the way they need to be playing and have course corrected and ended up winning those series. The way that they course corrected and ended up playing is now just the way they play all the time. And if there's a team that is equipped to guard Dallas when Dallas is playing five out the way they want to in the playoffs, it's this Clippers team that has an unlimited amount of switchable six, seven guys. And so I think, you know, they match up incredibly well against Dallas. Um, You can never rule out Luka Doncic in the playoffs. However, having said that, there's such a talent um, deficit that they're in against the Clippers and as much of a absolute killer Luca is in the playoffs, Kawhi Leonard is the exact same thing. Strikes fear in your heart in the exact same way. And so, again, this is an easy one. Clippers in, you know, six, max six games. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I do want to mention, and we'll, we'll kind of state this as we break it all down, this is where matchups become so insanely important because they happened. Dallas happened to get matched up against the Clippers. It is the worst matchup that they could find themselves in. If that was the way it broke. Um, yeah, for sure. Rick just said, um, but I, they'd love to play like the Timberwolves would be like ideal for them. They'd love to play the Timberwolves quite, quite honestly, they'd rather play Phoenix, Denver. Definitely. Like, I mean, just, they want a team. They want a team that needs to play traditional. They want yes. a center out there. They want to get the center stretched out. And, uh, yeah, them matching up against either Golden State or uh, the Clippers would be a nightmare for them. Correct. Uh, the 2-7 is the 2-seed Denver Nuggets playing the 7-seed New Orleans Pelicans. That's uh, tough. This is really hard. Um, and I didn't want to go chalk. I really was trying to avoid going chalk in this stuff because every season is unique and different. And you can't project what happened the previous season and map it over the upcoming season. Um, there's always wrinkles and there's always teams that are, are better than expected, worse than expected. This one worried the hell out of me because as much as I really do love Denver, you know, you and I talked about Denver and we were, I mean, although we had the over, we were pretty low on Denver when we talked about the team in detail on our last podcast. And the reason is because there's just so many unknowns that you're betting on if you want to, if you want to pick Denver to advance, you know, at all in the playoffs, but especially deep into the playoffs. And New Orleans, if it works, I just feel like they're one of, they have some of the highest, their horsepower is so much higher than, than Denver would be. Um, but again, like, we talk a lot of times, especially when you get in the playoffs, like how much like continuity and experience matters. Um, and a lot this of this would be guys- Dan. I gotta say really quick on the matchups front, this would be R.I.P. Michael Porter on defense. He can't. He can't play. Yeah. This is this is, and and again, that's part of the reason too. This and and again, I will see if you agree with me or not. This is a matchup where I am going to take the New Orleans Pelicans in this, and I don't. I don't feel great about it, but when I tried to consider this series before we went live, I was trying to think of, okay, how many different ways do I think, you know, New Orleans could, could, you know, make matchup hell basically for Denver and how could they steal games? And I got, I kept getting to the point where I'm like, actually, I believe it to be the opposite. I think it's Denver that's going to have to steal games. I think like their continuity, Jokic's brilliance is going to have to be what they hang their hat on to win some of these games. That's just a fucking heavy load, man. I think this one is very similar to the 2-7 last year that we 
the Timberwolves lost in heartbreaking fashion to Memphis. So I think even if you're going to pick Denver here to win, you're going to, very similarly to the 2-7 last year, you're going to come out of it thinking that New Orleans has a real foundation to build on for the following season. It's really tough. It's like New Orleans does not really have and again, these are two impossible guards. Like, they don't have a lot to throw at Jokic, and Denver does not have a lot to throw at Zion. So it's like, it's uh, they don't cancel each other out, obviously, but like, this is a really tough one, man. So let's do this, man. Let's. What do you say we we have Denver advance, and we basically use the the analog of last season? I agree. We, I think okay. that's fair. Okay, um, so we both agree that New Orleans is going to look at times like the much better team, but just due to how early they are in the development of that group, Denver likely takes it. I think so. Okay, so then we go to the 1-4 matchup in the West. That's the Timberwolves 1 seed, 4 seed Golden State Warriors. This fucking sucks. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna talk through it real quick. Um, if the Timberwolves win. Let me throw a little bit of a little bit of cold water on this Warriors team. Clay Thompson, yeah, was not Clay Thompson last season, right? Nope. He may never be. Okay. Draymond was not Draymond. Maybe he will never be. They're going to have to rely more on young players that don't have experience than they ever have previously. And if that's the case, and those guys can't quite hold the same weight or help offset some of the, you know, not, I don't want to say that they're going to, I, I hate even having this conversation. I'm What I'm trying to say is if Golden State is Steph Curry with shells of the former selves in that, in that uh, veteran rotation, and they have to rely on young players a lot, that would play really well into the Wolves uh, favor. But uh, I don't bet against Golden State and Steph Curry. And Steph I wouldn't Curry. either. I think the Wolves all season this year, they need to have a good deal of resources tied to figuring out how we could beat Dallas Golden State Clippers in the playoffs, smaller switching teams. Because I think clearly if they play against a traditional team, they should and we would feel really good about their chances. And if they can even play one of those teams that is at a talent deficit to the Wolves and force them to adjust to the Wolves instead of vice versa, you'd yeah. feel really good about that. At this point in their development, I don't think you can, you could reasonably say that Golden State would be the team to adjust to them. And, you know, it just could be very, it, this would be a very difficult draw for the Wolves. I, there's an element here, too, that I love. It's very similar to the Memphis one, but the Warriors just have... It, it's funny, because, like, you wouldn't... Again, you wouldn't know this unless you followed these two teams closely, because it's such a little niche thing. But the Warriors have nothing but disrespect and disdain for the Timberwolves. Yes. And, uh, it, it comes from a few places, which is that um, they have no respect at all for Carl Towns. They have no respect at all from D'Angelo for D'Angelo Russell after a short stint there. They feel like they absolutely robbed the Timberwolves in getting Andrew Wiggins. 
they feel vindicated in that move and feel like, and, and I think, you know, clearly they're correct there and that Andrew Wiggins is, you know, truly a warrior's guy, you know, and, um, so they feel there's that element there too, where it's like, these guys are morons. Like they, they gave us Andrew Wiggins. And then on top of it all, the Timberwolves acquired Rudy Gobert, another classic foil to Draymond Green, another guy that they have openly disrespected in the past. And so there's that element there. We talk about all of that, and you think about the composure. It's like if Draymond is being Draymond in this series, I don't feel great about the composure of the Timberwolves going into that series, short of Anthony Edwards you know, really taking the bowl here and being the best player in the series, that's really the only chance the Wolves would have. But um, you're right. We cannot, we can't pick against the Warriors. No. Uh, The two, three in the West would be the two seed Denver Nuggets against the three seed Clippers. Um, I think you and I will be in lockstep on this one. The Clippers I have winning this series. Comfortably. Um, yeah, this one, it would be kind of a bloodbath for Denver, in my opinion. I just feel like the, the Clippers would absolutely suffocate Denver and make every possession pretty miserable for them. And the stuff that Denver wants to get into um, when they're at their best would be hardest against a team that matches up like this with the Clippers. Because, again, you just mentioned it with two other teams. Traditional teams typically match against traditional teams. And this is a traditional team trying to match against a completely non-traditional you know, team. So I think the Clippers, both high-end talent, high-end coaching, and ability to to both offensively and defensively perform at a really high level, I just think they're going to murder Denver in a series like this. I'd probably pick it in five. Denver gets like the gentleman sweep with a home win, but I would take it in five. Absolutely. So that takes us to the Western Conference Finals, which would be the three-seed Clippers against the four-seed Golden State Warriors, which would be fucking awesome. We got to pray for this. Yeah, honestly. this would Short be... of, obviously, the thing we're praying for more than anything is for the Wolves to win the finals, but... Correct. If, let's say, we put on our hats of every other year we've ever cheered for the Timberwolves, where we're, like, also equally just general NBA fans, this is, a, you said it, this is a dream. This is... Two teams built to play each other. Circ- they've been circling each other. I-, I just, I love this series, man. Yeah, this one, you know, I I have who I would pick. And again, I'm trying to do this fairly rapid fire. Um, I'm picking it because, you know, before we even did this exercise, it's the team I was going to be picking from the West anyway. Um, but, it, you know, the matchups broke out pretty well for him too in this sim- simulation. I would choose the Warriors in this. The biggest reason is, or I'm sorry, the Clippers. Oh, Jesus I was going to say, damn, we're going to have to argue about this. No, Jesus Christ. Uh, no, the Clippers. And for me, there's two There's two main reasons. Everything for this Clippers team feels like it's a culmination leading to this season. I agree. Where everything is going to finally, for a team where everything is broken wrong, it's going to break right for them. They have their star players are, <laughs> for, for better or worse, well-rested, um, prepped and ready to go to play an NBA season. Um, the Warriors are kind of the antithesis of this. They're coming off a finals run, obviously, where they won the ship. They're um, in Japan. <laughs> they were, in, Yeah, they're in Japan at the moment. Um, there's just a lot where in this matchup, I would take the fresher legs of the Clippers coupled with everything surrounding what I think this season is going to be for them, which is we've always been the smartest guys in the room. 
you guys just don't know it yet, this is the season where we're finally going to show you that all of this was for something. Yes, I I agree with you. And here's here's a point I'd like to also make about this particular matchup, which is in Golden State's run here, in with with when they've been healthy, the team that has given them that gave them the most problems was the Houston Rockets. Yeah. And this Clippers team is ideologically built in that same image and it's just like of that period, Daryl Morey's like wet dream of a team of just like a complete endless barrage of switchable guys. So they would 100% go into this series. And I love Zubots to death, but Zubots, you're not starting in this series. We are playing five out. We are switching everything. Golden State wants to play their beautiful game. I'm sorry, you cannot do that. We are going to make you play one-on-one because we will switch everything. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are going to murder you in the mid-range. We're going to muddy this series up. And when it comes down to it, we believe in Kawhi's ability to get off a difficult shot more than we believe in uh, Golden State's ability to get Steph a difficult shot. So... I, I think this is a hopefully would be a seven gamer, but I agree with you. This is a this is a really nice matchup for the Clippers, and I think uh, I think the Clippers would take care of it. Yep. So we now have the Clippers representing the Western Conference in the finals. We will move to the Eastern Conference. Uh, the one eight matchup in the East is the one seed Cavs against the eight seed Heat. Um, what a what a reward for the Cavs. Yeah, and to be fair. I think both because of the way we projected the season, like both of these new one seeds that we have projected are going to go into the playoffs as the one seed playing in an insanely deep conference. And so every matchup starting at the one eight is not going to be a fucking easy matchup for, for that team. They're yeah, they wouldn't be it. favored in the way that a normal one seed would be. Yeah, exactly. Um, in those years where, you know, Orlando was the like, you know, constant eight wow. seed in the East. Um, so in this matchup, I am going to go with, uh, you know, kind of my regular season prediction, which is the Cavs being the one seed is going to mean a few different things are happening. And, and one of the major things is they're going to have a ton, a ton of dudes uh, to cover offensively, which is going to be very hard to deal with, coupled with the fact that they're going to defend at a high level, uh, specifically with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. And because of that, the Heat, to me, they're just kind of running into a buzzsaw where they just aren't going to have enough guys and I think Cleveland is going to be really difficult for even a Heat team that plays good defense and really makes their bones on that end of the floor. It's going to be really hard for them to match up with this Cleveland team. Um, and again, the one thing I want to say as a caveat, and we don't project this, the Heat are a team that that wheels and deals often. They usually do not sit still if, some, if an opportunity becomes available. And this Heat team, it's possible in the first half of the season as we kind of lead our way to the All-Star break that this team is is not going to be as good as either the heat believed or you know they uh you know they may have a little bit of a drop off as, as i guess what i'm trying to say just because they are quite a bit older and reliant on a lot of guys that may not have a ton left in their developmental gas tank this is a a hilarious outcome for us because we're two miami stands hashtag heat culture um they were the number one seed last season they made the east finals and game seven in the East finals last year. And we're both like eight seed. Um, (laughs) But yes, I agree. 
you know, we're not going to do an 8-1 upset here. We will advance Cleveland to perhaps find a similar fate to the Timberwolves, but let's find out if that's the case by looking at the 4-5. 4-5 is a great matchup. It's Brooklyn as the 4 seed and Atlanta as the 5. Um, Rick, in this... So I have a feeling we're going to be in lockstep on this one. We haven't talked about any of these these matchups yet. Um, what I'm curious about is, do you think this is a close series? No, I don't. Because yep. if we're predicting that Brooklyn was the four seed, then I think we're predicting that Brooklyn is the favorite to make the finals out of the East. I think that them finishing basically out of the play-in and like confidently out of the play-in, I think that's the case. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I have Brooklyn advancing. I think this is a series that, I mean, again, Atlanta, it's going to be kind of wild to watch Atlanta this season with the addition of DeJounte Murray and coming off a season where they were they were underwhelming and underperformed based on expectation. Um, I'm curious to see kind of how Atlanta's season plays out, but if they ended up in the playoffs and matched up with Brooklyn first round based on what you and I believe Brooklyn is going to have for a season, they're going to they're gonna get hit hard. Brooklyn will will punish Atlanta. Um, so that takes us to 3-6, which is the three-seed Milwaukee Bucks against the six-seed Boston Celtics. God damn it. I know. Um, These matchups are crazy, man. Yeah, I don't feel great about this one. I mean, I would take the Bucks in this series, and the reason I'd is because... I'd definitely take the yeah. Bucks. Um, but I will say this. like, There is a path. I was thinking about this with all the, the nonsense going on in Boston right now. I was trying to think in, you know, Boston has, we were texting about it, like Boston still has obviously a very good team. This was a team that represented the Eastern Conference in the finals. And Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I think you and I both believe those guys are not developmentally finished products yet. So there is definitely a path to, to the Celtics having a killer season and being a nightmare to play against in a, in a situation like this. But Milwaukee remains for me, man, with Giannis still there, <laughs> like still remains to me like a, an Eastern Conference title maybe not favorite, but like one of the two teams that I would feel comfortable advancing to a finals preseason. So yeah, I have to take Milwaukee. For sure. I, I mean, like if that, that one was basically a 50, 50 series last year. And that was without Chris Middleton. That was with the Celtics firing on all cylinders, um, having kind of like their dream season from the second half on. So I agree. This is a relatively easy one for me even though I think this is would look like a, probably a seven-gamer. Yeah, I agree with you. It would be a tough series. Um, and then the 2-7 is the two-seed 76ers playing the seven-seed Toronto Raptors. Um, I will say this. I, it breaks my heart. Um, I'm not choosing the Raptors to beat the 76ers team. Uh, we are about to have some spirited debates with these remaining four teams because you and I, I mean, I won't spoil it for anybody, but Rick made a proclamation on a podcast here not long ago here within the last couple of weeks. I'm curious if he stands by it about, I don't know if we will stand by it. Honestly, after we go through this, we'll have to find out. Yeah. But uh, for me, this would be a 76ers walkthrough. I actually believe they would, they would kind of kill the Toronto team. That's, I mean, that's, that's what happened last year. I mean, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Okay. So the one four is Cleveland, Brooklyn. Uh, You mentioned, what we did, obviously, in the Timberwolves-Golden State matchup, it's no different for me here. Uh, love Cleveland. I am not betting against what I believe this Brooklyn Nets team is going to be. And when it gets deeper into the playoffs, especially after the first round, like the experience is going to start to matter. Um, and a Kevin Durant-led Brooklyn team is going to be very difficult for a first-year Cleveland team to to kind of do away with. So I would take Brooklyn in this series. 
I, I think I would too. I think it would be more challenging than is like would be your initial thought just looking at that. I think Brooklyn would have a very difficult time defending Cleveland. I don't think the matchup is particularly great. And then I think if you want to find a guy that could match up well against Kevin Durant, they've got it. it, it they've got it with Evan Mobley. Honestly, like he's like a very one of the few guys in the entire NBA that you would say would match up reasonably well against Kevin Durant. Um, and then on the flip side of that, you imagine a Seth Curry, Kyrie Irving backcourt defending the guards of Cleveland. And that's, that's pretty brutal. Um, the question is just like, is, would the moment be too big for them? You know, they're, they're playing Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you know? Um, and again, in this simulation, this is the key here in this simulation, this this Brooklyn Nets team was the four seed. They did advance to the second round comfortably. So if those two things have happened, then I think you could comfortably say that they would be the team to beat Cleveland here. I agree. Um, the, so this series that we're about to discuss is the 2-3. This is the Sixers and Bucks. This is as tough as the West Finals Clippers-Warriors. I agree. Um, this one, I'm going to go with my heart in this one, and I'll explain why. So I, I'm going to pick the 76ers to uh, beat the Bucks. You are? Wow. Um, and let me just – and this is not – got to uh, work through this. Okay, so here is the way that I see it. Milwaukee and the Sixers, when it comes to the starting five, like throw your best five out there, I think it's slight advantage Milwaukee. Okay. The problem I have with Milwaukee is depth. The 76ers depth is much better. So if you're in a close game with two minutes to go and you have to go five on five, I think Milwaukee takes that game. The reason that I I picked the Sixers in this, and I believe it'd be an absolute bloodbath, six or seven gamer for sure. The reason I'd choose the Sixers is because I think there will be points in the game where Milwaukee needs to sit some of their dudes, and that's where Philadelphia is going to be able to go on a run because I just think their depth is flat better in a pretty severe way. Definitely. And in a series like that, the drop-off from the Bucks to the Sixers starting five is not steep enough to where they're going to make hay against the Sixers five-on-five. Five. I just think the Sixers have enough. And I'm going to... Well, let's, so Dan, let's, 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 let's explore that though, because when we get to that, let's say, let's say this goes seven, right? Okay. Um, So eight guys, seven or eight guys will play off of each team. Yes. Off Philly, that would be Maxi, Harden, uh, Tobias Harris, PJ Tucker, uh, Joel Embiid, what, Melton? Melton and... Yang or Melton and Harrell or Harrell and Thibel. Or it's definitely House, not going to be Harrell. <laughs> or House, like House and Melton. Or... Yeah, I think it'd probably be House, Melton, and maybe Thibel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then on the Milwaukee side, you have Drew, uh, Chris Middleton. Um, who's going to start at the two for them? Is Wes Matthews or, or Grayson Allen? I would assume Grayson Allen, yeah. Okay, let's say Grayson Allen, um, Giannis, Brooke Lopez, then uh, Bobby Portis. And Connaughton. Connaughton. 
They might have to go seven. I don't think they can go eight. I mean, unless you think you can give any, like, minutes to Javon Carter or Wes Matthews. We got to get granular here. Um, all right, so you got Drew on James Harden. Advantage Milwaukee. It's I probably so. Drew on Maxi. Yep. Yep. You get Chris Middleton working the mid-range. You got Giannis. They they do defend Embiid pretty well. They do. Embiid also defends Giannis pretty well. Um, and we've never actually seen these guys go against each other in the playoffs. Oof. So Doc. <laughs> you got Doc. Coach Bud. Are we sure we can pick Philly? <laughs> Uh, well, here's the thing. I've been burned by Philly every year since we started the podcast. So why stop? (laughs) Why? I mean, yeah, let's just, well, and, but here's my belief on this Philly team truly, uh, when it would go into a series against Milwaukee. And again, I hate to even do this, but it's like, okay. So Brooke Lopez. Sure. Sure. Are, are we sure? Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, okay. So if, if that isn't the case, like, what are we talking about? Are we talking Dusting off Serge Ibaka, are we going small with Bobby Portis in the front court? Probably Bobby Portis. In which case, then, is is the Embiid-Giannis thing kind of nullified a little bit if you don't have another big rim protector on the floor? Yeah. You know I feel I mean? like, like these teams probably close with that five we said for Philly. And for Milwaukee, they're probably closing with Portis in there for Brooke Lopez and Connaughton in there for uh, Grayson Allen. Well, and a big part of this bet, man, to be honest with you, is something that may just not be true any longer. Like, I believe there's going to be another leap. For, so it's Maxi and Embiid as your best two players. I still believe that James Harden is going oh, to I'm, be... Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking the Harden Kool-Aid this year, to be honest. Me too. Me too. And that's part of my bet, is it's like, okay, when I look at this matchup, I'm like, so who's guarding James Harden? Because Drew is guarding Maxi, almost assuredly, I would assume at this point. Embiid, Giannis, who's guarding Harden? Grayson Allen? Like... You know what I mean? It just, it gets really sticky. And then it's like, you have throw in guys like Toby Harris and PJ Tucker in the corner. And again, you're right to say that they'll only go seven or eight, but the reality of Philly man is like, I could see a number of these guys being that other guy, you know, that they need with Milwaukee. It's really like, well, it's only coming from these three spots. It's really, right. the only, and, and again, we don't know if those three spots are even solid, but it really is only those three spots. Um, you know what? We forgot to bring up Joe Ingles, who it's an he's a very big unknown. They're betting heavily on him being a big addition. There's some talk of him being ready as soon as December, which I highly doubt because you just have to imagine they they will be very cautious with him. Have um, to be. Yeah. Uh, if he if he could be a factor, which I think you and I would be pretty skeptical about playoff wise, um they can get to some pretty interesting lineups. Um, but yeah, all right, let's have fun here. Let's, let's advance Philly. I think it's a more interesting conversation to think about them versus Brooklyn, because I think, you know, we've obviously already seen Milwaukee and the Nets before. I think this one is, is tough. I actually don't have my mind made up on this one. I think we're going to have to talk it through. Well, so let me try and boil it down and make it somewhat easy. I agree with you that it is, it is interesting. If we believe, and again, this was largely me, you heard Rick hedging. Um, if I believe Philly can beat Milwaukee in a seven yeah. game series, can I really, if they did that, what that would mean for what this team is, because for them to advance to a conference finals and go through Milwaukee to do so 
it means that shit is really working for, for, for Philly. And in which case, I kind of think I would just go, I would go Philly over Brooklyn. But again, I kind of feel like the same conversation could be had on the flip side of the coin. If we believe Brooklyn is going to be in the East Finals and we say that before the season has started, doesn't that mean that everything is working in Brooklyn? Exactly. <sighs> but it's a, I mean, the, this this is a bad matchup for Brooklyn. They don't have anybody to defend Joel Embiid. And, and not even at close. All. Not even to like slow him down. No, they don't have anybody. So if Joel Embiid can be the best player in the series, I think it's lights out and, uh, for Brooklyn. You can never. Kevin Durant and Kyrie are such wild cards in the in the playoffs. As in, they both can heat up to such a degree where it just kind of renders everything else, you know, not even worth talking about. I love the Ben Simmons Harden element of this. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it's fucking um, great. And, and we're looking at this on the margins here, and like, look, you know, certainly we're no doc heads, but like, you know, Steve Nash is. We don't I, honestly, and I really don't. I mean, I mean it as I say it. Like, I don't even know if he's a coach, and so you, I, that's advantage, doc. The home court advantage, if we're really looking at like really getting, <laughs> really getting to like splitting hairs here, yeah. it's not even close. Yeah, it's advantage um, Philly by a mile, by a lot. Um, you have it, it's just tough. I mean, if it gets down, comes down to the wire, though, the ability of and this is what's going to make Brooklyn a tough out if they can just get their shit together enough to even be put in this situation which they were not last year, if they can be put in the situation where it's like a possession game, it, they they have two of the best possible guys for that situation. And Philly, you know, does not really. I mean, Harden has really struggled in those situations, especially in the playoffs. And so it's difficult. Um, but yes, I, I think we will advance Philly here. I think the... Brooklyn's inability, at least right now on paper, to defend Joel Embiid is just too too hard to overlook. Uh, Philadelphia does have good wing depth to be able to throw different looks at Kevin Durant, which is, you know, <laughs> look. But here's the thing is their ability to defend Kevin Durant is a lot better than Brooklyn's ability to defend Joel Embiid. And so... Embiid and Philly, you have finally cracked through. Congratulations. So now we get to the Clippers and Sixers. Um, so we talk matchups. Uh, Embiid would be a nightmare for the Clippers. Um, same as he would Zubats, be. you're back. He's back now. Yeah, I mean, now he's, now he's back. Um, so this, and again, the, if we were going to do a full breakdown and take like 20, 30 minutes to try and like really get into the weeds here, we could. The reality is, if I'm looking at this matchup just on its face, I'm betting the Clippers in yes. this series. Um, but it's because of what, and again, we took an hour plus to get to this conclusion, which is basically like you and I have massive bets on what we think this Clippers team is. And the reasons why we believe the Clippers team is is the way they are. They've built this team, and it wasn't by accident. Like, they've built it this way for a reason. They've been basically just waiting for PG and Kawhi to come back so they could actually do what they intend to do. 
and you and I are big believers in that that construct, like the way that they built this out with their unlimited number of wings. And you know, I think I think I'd probably take the Clippers over virtually anybody that they would match up against in the Eastern Conference. Because when we look at the East, I mean, essentially, I think we're probably saying we believe there's three title contenders between Milwaukee, the Sixers, and Brooklyn. Those are probably Feels the like three. that to us right now, yeah. Um, I probably take the Clippers in each of those. The most difficult one would be Milwaukee. I agree. Um, for me. Um, but in this matchup, again, um, it, it would be super close, though, man. Like, I got to be honest. I mean, everything you said about the way Brooklyn would match up with Embiid, the same thing is virtually true for the Clippers. I mean, it would be a fucking haul for them to deal with Embiid for, for an extended period of time. So, but I, I'm just such a huge believer, and I think this will be kind of the first. The league always tries to replicate whoever it is that is at the top of that league at, at the current current stat. Um, I just feel like the, the Clippers are going to be the team that people are going to be trying to replicate after this year, where they look and they just go, man, we just need an unlimited number of switchable wings, as many as we can have on a roster. Yeah, and I love Kawhi has done this a couple times where he's uh... – you know, played the spoiler in the league-wide narratives here where it's like, you guys think this this season, this league is about this guy? It's actually, it's about me, you know? And uh-huh. and I think if Kawhi, he's obviously set up to have a monster season. He, if he wins the finals and would almost assuredly be finals MVP in that scenario, and he has now done that with three different teams, stretched out over you know almost a 10-year period that's a really really impressive feat uh rivaled really only by like what lebron was able to accomplish with three different teams and i i think going into this season i think the clippers are are pretty clearly the cream of the crop in terms of playoff teams ty lu is a playoff coach Kawhi Leonard as a playoff contributor, slotting Paul George into a second role, like a secondary role, and then uh, just the their their depth of role guys that I think could step up in major ways in the playoffs. To say nothing about the fact that they also do have some darts, man, on their team that could very well emerge into their rotation. Like they already have a very crowded rotation assuming no internal development from any of their young guys. But if they come to a place where Terrence Mann, Jason Preston, Brandon Boston uh, kind of force their way into the rotation, uh, Amir Coffey also by just force of their play. I mean, honestly, man, that's, that's four wild cards that I just listed there on a team that already goes 10 to 12 deep. Um, it, it, this is this team is is they're built for this, and I think, like we said, I think they have we think they have the best coach in the entire NBA. Uh, Kawhi, Kawhi, healthy in the playoffs. Until I see, it's really him or Giannis for me at this point, in terms of the guy I want, and you know, to me, Kawhi is probably still holding that crown until until I see him fumble it yeah so you you led into uh what I wanted to mention here which is perfect um the idea that young up-and-coming players eventually overtake uh current stars and this this exercise 
you, we have the Brooklyn Nets led by Kevin Durant. We have the Clippers led by PG and more importantly, Kawhi Leonard, the Warriors led by their, their core. Uh, at some point, you know, we kind of saw the crack form a little bit last year in that Brooklyn series that they lost in the first round. Kevin Durant did not look as unstoppable as he historically had looked. Now, that may be an aberration, and you and I clearly are betting that it was based on where we have Brooklyn slotting here. But at some point, you just look around and realize, like, oh, yeah, so that's this year, I guess. I guess some of these guys are 10% worse than they were in their prime, and some of these guys coming up are prepared and ready to take over that spot. Um, and that's exactly why we are betting on James Harden. <laughs> Yeah, like this exercise was basically like the old heads will prevail, um, which is the safest bet. Like that's always the safest bet to make. But I will say with how talent rich the league is, talking about who we believe the one seeds are going to be, the types of players on those rosters, even a team that we threw away in the first round, uh, a team like Atlanta with Trey Young. and Miami, man. Miami, yeah. I mean, it's just there is a path to us getting towards the end of the season and being like, oh, well. We just didn't foresee that, you know, for instance, like Giannis and Embiid still being in their prime, that makes them just a lot better than the current version of the Brooklyn Nets or the current version of the Los Angeles Clippers, just based on the age of their stars. You well, know, and, just... and these series also come down to injuries often. Yes. Um, where it looked like Brooklyn, the, the James Harden Brooklyn team, was about to steamroll the Milwaukee Bucks only to see their fortunes change um, when Kyrie Irving went down and then James Harden went down. So, and, and then last year with Milwaukee and Boston, Chris Middleton not playing. So there's a lot of stuff here where we just, we just can't know right now. Um, but, you know, doing it in this manner where we're imagining at least the luck being equally dispersed <laughs> throughout the teams. Yeah. Um, I feel really good about doing this exercise. I feel I feel pretty good. You know, I feel less strong about Philly coming out of the East. The East is... As you should. Pretty unknown that we're going out in the limb there. But I do feel pretty confident about the Clippers. Um, I feel very comfortable with them. And I feel like, um, you know, you got to play these games. But I think that, you know, they are... Just that injuries stand in their way. Um, from from getting where where I feel like they they need to get. No, I I completely agree. And again, that's what makes this season so interesting going in. It's it's the depth of the talent coupled with the rising young stars that are coming up in the league, coupled with the crossing. You know, a lot of teams crossing their fingers that are built around aging stars. Oh yeah, um, and just praying to God that they've got more left, and more importantly, that they can stay on the floor. Um, and that's. That's what will make this season so interesting when we go through this exercise, you know, this is with injuries off. And so you slot, you know, one through 10 in each conference. Well, I mean, it, it is absolutely possible that the Clippers are title favorites and they're the eight seed if they weren't healthy during the regular season. You know what I mean? Like there's, oh yeah, there's just a lot of, a lot of variability in how this exercise played out, but it was good too, just to get some of our overarching thoughts. And again, I fully expect to be burned by the Sixers for, you know, the upteenth time. Um, and that's but fine. This is a, but this is a snapshot of where we're at right now. And, you know, it's not like if we come into the season and, you know, hey, we've drank the James Harden Kool-Aid 
and we found out that somebody spiked it with poison, like, you know, we will quickly adjust course, you know. And I will make this promise to all of the Wolves Watch listeners. If Philly does it to me again, I'm done. They're cut off. Like, okay. no more. I'm not doing it again. Um, oh, I will make this promise to Wolves Watch listeners. If the Wolves are actually playing Golden State in the second round, you and I will be talking on this pod about how we genuinely believe that the Wolves are going to win this series. That's a promise. Yeah, almost. We'll be speaking in terms of, like, we're almost surprised people are discussing it. Like, it's Correct. so obvious that the Wolves are coming through this. Uh, no, and I was... This was great. We're going to do this every year. I'm really glad we got everything out. Uh, congratulations to the Clippers for being the 2022-2023 NBA champions here on the 2nd of October. Um, any last words, Rick, before we hop off? No, man. This was a great exercise. I think we make this a annual tradition. I think it was incredibly fun. And I think, um, I think this will probably wrap it up in terms of you know, general NBA preseason pods. I think the next time we come on, the Wolves uh, open their preseason schedule on Tuesday. So I think the next time we come on, we will uh, we will be talking about the Wolves and, and actual games that have been played. Yeah, and, you know, the season hasn't tipped off yet. The preseason has. And, uh, you know, some things never change. Uh, Golden State's 1-0 and and Washington is on a losing streak. So, I mean, things are right with the world. <laughs> But all right, man, you have a good week and we'll be on to talk about the Wolves later this week. Uh, awesome, man. Can't can't wait for this. The season's starting and it's it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Couldn't agree more. All right. Take care of yourself.